I want to begin a several week series on the journey of faith. Um, we've talked about what faith is. It is the hypostasis of things hoped for, the elenkos of things not seen. It's the substantial reality of, of what you expect about the future, and it's the evidence of what you do not see. What I want to do now is, is to take several weeks, and it'll be chopped up because this is summertime, but I want to take several weeks to look at the journey of faith. How does this flesh out in a person's life? And what I want to do this morning is rather quickly lay the foundation for the whole thing. And I want to look at Moses and maybe a little bit of Abraham, a little bit at Abraham, to look at what was the fundamental driving thing in their life that made them, Hebrews 11 is what we're preaching on, and, and Hebrews 11 is all about the heroes of faith. And, and mo, about two-thirds of the chapter is on Moses and Abraham. And I want to ask the question, what was it about these two that made them the superlative heroes of faith? The examples of, of faith that we're going to be looking at. Before I start, let me pray. Father, what's, what's really on the core of my heart right now is, is that uh, my hunger and thirst for you. And Lord, that, that is so strong for me right now that I, I just don't feel like I care much about anything else. I just want you. And Lord, I think that's a godly thing. And Lord, I pray that you'd use this message to make that uh, a core reality for all of us. Deepen it in my life and make it a core reality of, of all of us, Lord God, as you lead your people on this journey of faith. It's a journey with a lot of ups and downs and sometimes forward steps and sometimes backward steps, Lord. But, but God, I, I would pray that um, you'd use this message, Lord, to remind us or teach us for the first time, if that be the case, Lord God, of what the whole journey is about. And when all is said and done, when all the ups and downs and forwards and backwards are done with, Lord God, what the journey is about is you and you alone and nothing but you. And Lord, I would pray that you would use this time in my life and uh, this time in all of our lives to shave off everything that would possibly come between us and you. Shave off everything, even if it looks really, really good. Lord God, that nothing would distract us, nothing would deter us, nothing would cloud us, nothing would compromise our relationship with You. However painful it may be, Lord God, I pray, God, that You give us the faith to see and the faith to hear the reality that this is, in fact, the most beautiful, freeing thing You could ever do for us. Give us the heart of Moses and the heart of an Abraham that wants You above all else. And use this message as a time to do that, Lord. That's Your responsibility. It would be so foolish to think that there's anything that I could possibly say that would make any kingdom difference unless your spirit is all over it. So Holy Spirit, flood this place. That the word may go forth not with some human tricky wisdom or some human uh, you know, tricky speaking, Lord, but it would go forth in, in the demonstration of spirit and power. And more than anything else, Lord, that cashes out in terms of a changed life. If you do that, Lord God, we know it's you because it certainly isn't me. So do it, Lord. Do it. I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Abraham and Moses. I'll talk a little bit more about Abraham in the weeks to come. This morning I want to center on Moses. But it's true of both Abraham and Moses. And this is really to just give away the whole thing up front. But I don't much care about that right now. Um, what more than anything else defined them as the men of faith that they were? Was that they came to a, a moment of truth. And it's a very important moment of truth. It doesn't necessarily happen just once in your life, though it can happen like that. It can happen uh, many times in your life. And maybe it's the case that with us, we need to be reminded of it many times in our life. But here's the, 
It's a moment of truth where a decision has to be made. And the decision for these men of God is not necessarily a decision between God or Satan or holiness and sin. Those kinds of questions are, for the most part, for relatively mature believers at least, fairly obvious and rather easy. The decision that Moses and the decision that Abraham had to make is a decision between God for, his, for himself and God for his blessing. That was the decision they had to make. In other words, why are you following God? Is it because of who God is, period? Or is it because of what you can get from God? And what defines the purity of faith more than anything else is that it's a faith that hungers and thirsts after God. Period. And everything else is regarded as fluff and stuff. So Abraham, we'll talk more about him later, but Abraham was told by God to offer up Isaac. If Isaac had been a bad kid, maybe that would have been an easy choice. Maybe God would have had to tell Abraham, don't offer up Isaac. And that would have been hard. If, if, if Isaac had been some kind of demon child or, or something, you know, maybe that wouldn't have been such a bad decision. But the thing that made offering up of Isaac so difficult was not only that Isaac was a good kid and Abraham loved this son, but that, it, that Isaac represented everything that seemed that it was about God. Isaac represented the promise of God. Abraham, God had told Isaac, Abraham that, that he would give him his son supernaturally. And so all of Abraham's theology and all of his ministry and all the meaning of his life was wrapped up into this boy and now God says, will you obey me to the point of offering him up? And you're talking about something sounding crazy and irrational. This, this, is, this takes the cake. Abraham had to make that choice. Moses had a similar choice to make. And this is the one I want to focus on here this morning. We'll come back to Isaac in the weeks to come. But I want to look at Moses. Uh, I was talking with my wife about uh, this, this whole thing that God was laying on my heart. And she referred me to this passage. And I'd never noticed this passage before. And it, it was going to be a little incidental thing that I was going to talk about. And here towards the end of the week, God made it the main thing I want to talk about. This passage has, has caused me to be weepy since about Thursday. Uh, there's something about it that just has gotten a hold of my heart. It's found in Exodus chapter 33. What is the goal of faith? What is, what's it all about? What is to be our motivation, our driving, the fuel? Why are we in this thing? The question doesn't get much more fundamental than that. And I just want to read this passage here. Now, the background of this passage is this. Um, God has delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. And that was a supernatural thing. They saw all sorts of miracles, all sorts of wonders, all sorts of great stuff as they were being delivered out of Exodus. They went through the Red Sea. You know the whole story. Then they come to this mountain, mountain Mount Sinai, where, where now the covenant between God and His people are, are gonna, is going to be sealed. And Moses goes away, and while he's away, he's away for 40 days, and the children of Israel start to get nervous and, and worried about stuff. And So what they do is they return to their old theology... They started making golden calves, little trinket calves that they could... Sometimes you get this picture from Hollywood that was a giant golden calf. 
it was very clear that in the Scripture that it was these little trinket calves. Each one had their own individual little calf that they would kind of carry around. And you've got to understand, that wasn't just about a jewelry thing or an ornament thing. I've heard that verse used to preach against wearing jewelry. That's not the point of it at all. This was, in this ancient world, this represented a return to a God of faith and fertility and protection and whatever. What you find in this passage is that the children of Israel didn't want to go the long route with God. They didn't want to wait with God. They wanted to do something right here and right now that was tangible that they could see. Instead of seeing with the eyes of faith, having faith, faith that you can see in the Spirit, even though you can't see with the, with the eyes, they wanted to have something they could see with their eyes. Something that represented security for them right here and right now. So they made these calves. God sees this and is furious and he's about ready to say, you know what, I, I'm going to start over again. I'm going to start with you, Moses. He says that to Moses in chapter 32. Step aside, Moses. I'm going to start. I'll, I'll, I'll keep with my project about the promised land and everything, but I'm going to start with... I'm going to just work with you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do with the Israelites like I did with all of humanity several centuries earlier. I'm going to flood them. I'm going to destroy them and start over again. Moses, having the heart of, a, of an intercessor, intercedes before God and prays, so God changes his mind about that, but then goes with this plan B. And, and, and this brings us to this chapter right now. And the Lord says this, starting with verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people. Leave this place, you and the people. You brought up out of Egypt. Now he says, look at you brought them up out of Egypt. And go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. That's the promise God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God's saying, okay, I, I won't... I will not uh, destroy these people. I will, uh, they will be the ones that I will fulfill my promise on. So go ahead. You take them there. In verse 2, the Lord says, I will send an angel before you. That's nice. And I'll drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Okay? I'm in this, Moses. I mean this. I'm gonna, I'll do that for you. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. God's making the offer look really good. It's flowing with milk and honey. He's been telling them that since day one. But I will not go with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you. The Lord is saying here this. Moses, tell you what. And see, this is, this is the equivalent of Abraham's Isaac. Moses, here's the deal. Um, these people, stiff-necked, they're obstinate, they, they, they just push the envelope, and it's almost like for their own sake, you know what, you better just leave me out of this deal. You go ahead. You go to the land of, of promise. Uh, you go to the land of freedom that I, that I brought you out of Egypt for. Okay, you go ahead. In fact, I'll tell you what, I'll give you an angel, an angel anointing as it were. I'll give you an angel anointing. And this mighty angel will go with you. And through that angel, they'll drive out the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Hevites and all the other ites that are in the land of Canaan. They're all Canaanites. I'll drive them out. And you'll have the land and you'll have the milk and you'll have the honey. But you know what? I'm staying here. I, I'm, I'm not going to go with you. My presence will not go with you. Then the author, if you look at verse 7 through 11, and we're not going to read it all, but... The author uh, takes a break from the narrative and just kind of gives this background. And, and the background is about the friendship that God had with Moses and Moses had with God. If you look at verse 11, it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. And the author gives us that little background to explain the dialogue that is now going to happen between God and Moses. You've got to understand, the author saying, 
Uh, Moses and God, they were on good terms. They were friends. They talked like face-to-face like you do with a friend. And that would explain why Moses now speaks this way. Now, you see, you can understand, I could understand how, how Moses could say to himself something like this, well, you know, that's not a bad deal, really. Because these people don't know the presence of God from, from a rock. If God's there, they don't really recognize it. And if God's not there, they don't recognize it. And as a political leader, I need to take that into consideration. And here I'm getting a guarantee that I'll get into the land. I'm getting a guarantee I'll have victory over my enemies. I'm getting a guarantee that I'm going to get this mighty angel, this presence with us. How many people on this planet get to see a mighty angel? And not only that, but this God who seems to threaten us quite a bit and is always angry with us, we get to be rid of him. This is not a bad deal. I can sell this one to the people. Uh, you know, this is going to go. I, I, you know, and I'll come out and be a hero and I'll be the leader of a great nation. And God isn't, God, God seems to be, he's okay with this. It's like, like he's mad about this. He's saying, you go ahead, I'll, I'll do it. I can see Moses jumping at this opportunity. This isn't bad. This is better than most. That's not what Moses does. Look at verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. And you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. Now, now, ask the question, why would Moses say that right there? Why would Moses say that right there? The picture I get is this. It's like, God says to Moses, go ahead, I'll give you the angel, I'll I'll give you the victory. Go to the land, I'm I'm not going to go with you. And Moses is like this, this hurt friend. I mean, mean, he's just kind of confused right now. And he's saying... You're not going to go with me. Wait, um, you know, you say that I found favor with you, that we're friends, and you haven't even given me a human person to go with me. Uh, I, I don't even have a friend on earth that's going to go with me. You, you, you know, I, you haven't even shown me who's going to be my sidekick, and now you're telling me that you're going to leave me. What Moses is saying there, I think he's just kind of disoriented and confused. He's saying, Lord, I am really alone. And now you're saying, go ahead and you're going to stay behind? Then Moses says this in verse 13. If you are pleased with me, Lord, if in fact we're friends, if in fact I found favor with you, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. What Moses is saying there is this, this. Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. Thanks for the deal, but no deal. Uh, without you, without you, what good are the conquering the Hittites? Without you, Lord, what good is milk and honey? Without you, Lord God, what good is an angel? Teach me your ways. Uh, you name your price, Lord. I'll follow you anywhere. I'll go where you want to go. Uh, I'll do what you want me to do. Show me your ways. Show me your ways. God, look at this. This is... So it moves me. Verse 14, the Lord replied, This is not a God who needs a lot of arm twisting when it comes to love. God goes, Okay. <laughs> not like, they're talking into this one. Look at verse 14. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. Moses, you're lonely, you're tired, it's been a long haul. Okay, I see your heart. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to stay with you. And I, you know what? I'm going to give you rest. I'll give you that guy, that, that help that I promised you. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be with you. Now, it happens so fast. The Lord's like, okay. <laughs> you see, we've got to understand that God, in His love, He's a lover that just, uh, uh, wherever there's a vacuum of hunger for Him, He's there. He's there. It's, like, it's not like you've got to twist God's arm. Like, God, will you hang out with me? 
If, if there's a heart that says, show me your ways, okay, I'm there. He, 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 he's on it. He's all over it. And Moses still doesn't get it. And Moses is like, to, you know, have you ever talked to people where their, their internal dialogue is so strong, you, you know, you, you answer them, but they don't hear the answer? It's really clear that's what Moses is doing here, because then here's how, you know, God says, okay, my presence is going to go with you. But then Moses says in verse 15, because if your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. He's still talking to the God, and God's saying, I'm going to go with you. But if you don't go, then what are we going to do? I mean, do that. It's going on and on and on. And goes, verse 16, How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and, and with your people unless you go with us? Oh, I love this verse. I'm going to preach on this in a couple weeks, I think. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of this earth? And then verse 18, and here's the, here's the bottom line. This is faith. Then Moses said, he finally got it. He says, now show me your glory. Show me your glory. All discussion. Now, the point of this whole thing is this, and this is just what's on my heart, is that what Moses is saying there is, God, you know, thanks for the blessing. There's a blessing here. There's the milk and honey blessing. We like milk and honey, especially when you've been out in the desert for a while. You've been in Egypt for 400 years. Milk and honey sounds really good right now. And when you've been oppressed by the Egyptians for 400 years, having victory over the Canaanites, these, these evil people, that sounds really good right now. Having our own land sounds irresistibly good right now. And having an angel that will secure the victory sounds really, really, really good right now. But you know what? God, if you are not in it, it is all worthless. I don't want it. Show me your glory. I want to see your face. I want to draw close to you. Show me your ways. I'll follow you anywhere, God. I don't want you to ever leave me. And you can give me all the blessings in this world, but you know what it's about? Then I'm to a hill of beans. What the journey of faith is all about, the heart of the journey of faith is this. It's loving God for God's sake. For God's sake, love God. It's loving God for who He is rather than for what goodies you can get from loving God. It's being in love with Jesus Christ and adoring Jesus Christ because of the beauty of Jesus Christ. And for no other reason. Because of who God is, period. It's because you love to be in His presence and you long for His presence and you hunger for His presence, period. That's the heart of faith going towards that. You know why God saved us? It wasn't because we could do so much good stuff for Him. He could do it all on his own if he wanted to. He didn't save us because we're going to be such good witnesses, witnesses and, and such good preachers and such good music people and such good building builders and fundraisers and, and we're going to save the world. He, that's not why he saved us. He calls us to do those things, but that's not why he saved us. He saved us because he loves us. And he, none of those things will we, will we be doing throughout eternity. Throughout eternity, what we'll be doing is sitting in his presence. And being in His love. God didn't save us because of what He could do through us. And we're not to love God because of what He, what he can do for us. We're to love God for the same reason He loves us. And that is because it is an end in and of itself. When all is said and done, when the curtain of history falls, the one thing that will remain is that God will abide in us. We will abide in God. And throughout eternity, there will be the ecstasy of the triune relationship that we get to participate in. That's what it's all about. That's what the purpose of history is all about. Oh, that's what the church is all about. Jesus Christ gets a bride. The bride gets Jesus Christ. And throughout eternity, we in love just love one another. We just love one another. We're just there in His presence. That's the point of the whole thing. And everything else, everything else, it's fluffing stuff. It's all milk and honey. It can happen that we begin to pursue the milk and honey rather than the God who wants to bless us with milk and honey. The reality is this. There's also a lot of milk and honey in your relationship with God. And it's not bad. It's not bad. It, it, it's, it's not like horrendous stuff. It's good stuff. 
A lot of Christians find that in their walk with God, God gives them the milk and honey of, of financial blessing. Praise God for that. A lot of people find as they walk with God, God gives them the milk and honey of, 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 of restoring their marriage, and the milk and honey of, of, of bettering the relationship with their kid, and the milk and honey of maybe getting healed in their body and, and, and walking in good health. There's a lot of milk and honey that goes with the Christian life. Thank God for it. It's not bad. Don't feel guilty about it. In fact, we're supposed to pray for it. God loves to give us milk and honey. He loves to drive out the Hittites of our life, the Canaanites of our life. So a lot of the milk and honey, note this. That is also milk and honey. Getting freedom over stuff. Praise God for that. That's wonderful. Hallelujah. But it's milk and honey. It's not the substance. It's not, it's not what's supposed to drive us. The joy inside. Praise God. Good milk and honey. The peace inside. The fulfillment that comes from knowing God. Praise God for it. But it's milk and honey. It's the blessing. It's the result of the relationship. It is not itself the relationship. And maybe the hardest thing for us to remember about this is ministry, all of our ministry, that stuff that looks so good, the stuff that we are going to do for the world, the sermons that we're going to preach and the the music that we're going to play and the buildings that we're going to build and the people that we're going to save. It's all great. It's all nice. It's all wonderful. Praise God for it. But it's all milk and honey. And what can happen is that we can start pursuing the ministry as though our life depended on it instead of pursuing God as though our life depends on it. We begin to be in love with what we think we're doing for God or we begin to be in love with what the things that, that God is doing for us and we begin to pursue them. And when we do that, we've got to note this, congregation, when we do that, that becomes a golden calf for us. I don't care how good it likes and how good it looks. All the wonderful stuff going, to, going down to Haiti and, and going to Guatemala and, and preaching a sermon and being involved in this ministry and that ministry and, and feeding the poor and witnessing on the streets, it's all wonderful stuff. But if, if, if that becomes your love, if, if that becomes the thing that you're pursuing as though your life depended on it, it becomes a golden calf. It gets in the way between you and God. It becomes a hindrance rather than a help. We're to love God because God is God. Amen? We're to love God because Jesus Christ is beautiful. We're to love God because that is an end in and of itself. And everything else, everything else, the physical blessings, the family blessings, the ministry blessings, the spiritual blessings, all of that is milk and honey. It's good in and of itself. But we're not to pursue it as though our life depended on it. We're supposed to pursue God as though our life depends on it. And that alone. You know, God will sometimes start a relationship with a person by, 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 by throwing out the milk and honey. Um, you know, as a starter. So I, I, met, I heard a young person last week, and, you know, God is just so merciful. He'll come down to whatever level we're at. And for the unsaved person or for the immature spiritual, the, the immature uh, person of faith, um, you know, their, 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 their life is focused on themselves. Their life is focused on their need. God will meet them at their point of need. But what we need to understand is that he'll, He does that in order to bring us farther. What they found in Argentina is that Praying for financial blessing works a whole lot better when you're praying for non-believers than it does when you're praying for yourself. Because it means something to the non-believer. This is, this is how they think. And so God may prove Himself by, by doing a, a, a blessing as you're praying for them, more so than when it is with a believer, because He wants to bring us to a deeper level. Last week, heard a person give a testimony in his own innocent way about how he loves Jesus because Jesus uh, shortened his prison sentence. He was in prison, and then that's when he decided to give his heart to God because someone said, if you give your heart to God, God will get you out of prison quicker. And God did! And then the person added, you know what, and, and I'm, uh, um, the, I, I'm, I'm kind of hanging on to Jesus because i got another parole hearing coming up, and, and I, I want to uh, you know, get free of that. You know what, and, and there was a certain kind of innocence there, and it was beautiful, and God, God meets that person. This is what's real to this person. All he knows is that he could be spending a lot of time in prison, and he doesn't want to. So God says, you know what? I'm going to show how much I love you by meeting where you're at. I'll find a way to shorten the prison sentence. 
But maturity happens, saints of God, when God begins to draw us beyond that. He wants intimacy with us. He wants friendship with us. The kind of heart that Moses had, that's what he wants to create in us. The kind of relationship that Moses had, that's what he wants to create in us. The kind of face-to-face intimacy where you say, you know what, you know, I, I, I love my spouse and therefore I give her flowers and I, I, I can give her a, a nice wedding ring and I'll, I'll try to bless her in different ways and she me, but you know what, take away all those things and I'm still going to be here. I'm still going to be loving you. It doesn't change a thing. Because what the relationship is about is not the flowers or the cards or the trinkets or the ring. What the relationship is about is you. God God says that to us and God wants to bring us to the point where we say that to Him. It's all about you and nothing but you. He wants to bless us. For sure, He loves the poor milk and honey. Don't feel guilty about the milk and honey. But don't grab onto it. Don't chase it. Don't pursue it. Don't let that be the substance of your life. Don't settle what God is saying for an angel when He wants to give us Himself. Don't settle for the, the blessing of driving off the Hittites when what God wants to give us is Himself. We must be willing like Moses to give up everything else if that's what it would take in order to get the presence of God in our midst. Because what it's all about when all is said and done is having the presence of God in our midst. Oh, no. You know, preaching. I can, I can see me having a tendency to think that preaching is an end in and of itself because it looks so, it's so easy to godlyize it, to Christianize it, to make it, to spiritualize it. But if preaching becomes an end in and of itself, if that becomes the point... Well then, whether you're hearing the sermon or whether I'm preaching the sermon, if that becomes the point, then we've got a golden calf on our hands. And, and calves you've got to fashion on your own. So what happens is you start putting work behind it. You start sweating on it. You get, start getting nervous about it. You know, How am I doing? How's it going? You know, when, when things get out of God's uh, providence and they get out of God's ordained uh, attitude that we should have towards it, we end up striving in the flesh. And there's anxiety that goes along with it. And so you put a lot of time into it and you just fashion just right and you got to make the gold trinket just right or whatever. And the reality is, is that you can do that and some people will like it because some people like trinkets. You can even drive out some Hittites with that and you can maybe get an angel anointing with that. But what we want is not just to drive out the Hittites and we don't want some angel. What we want is Jesus Christ. Amen. What we want is God Almighty. The only reason to get up and say anything in front of people is that it draws them closer to God. And if it ever gets to be about anything else, then you've got to stop doing it. Music ministry, praise God for that milk and honey. Ah, oh, praise God for the milk and honey. Love that milk and honey. Love to just drink that milk and like to eat that honey and it's great and whatever. But if that becomes an end in of itself, if the milk and honey becomes the reason why you're going to the promised land, then you, you make a golden calf and you've got to start working at it and you've got to start sweating and there's going to be all sorts of anxiety and you're turning into a performance thing. And the reality is that God will still use that. He'll give you an angel anointing, maybe. And maybe He'll drive some awesome Hittites. But the attitude of the heart of the people of God is this. Lord, if you're not in it, then, then forget the Hittites and forget the angel. What we want is you, praise God. What we crave is you. What we hunger for is you. And all the programs that a church might have and going for a building. If that ever becomes an end in and of itself. See, this is why some of you have come from backgrounds. I know I've talked to you about that and you're worried about that come from backgrounds where they try to manipulate you and connive you and barrage you and all this other kind of stuff to get a big fun going and some of the antics that they've used are just sort of horrendous. Well, that's all about a golden calf. Somebody's got a golden calf that they're trying to build. It's not in the spirit, it's in the flesh. So they're trying to crank it out of people. And you might even drive off some Hittites and you might even get an angel anointing. So it might look to everybody who's carnal like you just entered the promised land. But the whole thing is called Ichabod because God is not in it. And the heart of the people of God has got to be this. Lord, we would rather worship together in some hot shack in some location that no one's ever going to see 
And we'd rather worship with seven people than to have some air-conditioned, great, wonderful building that's out in the middle of everywhere where everyone can see it and have 70,000 there, Lord God. We'd rather take the shack rather than the Crystal Cathedral if it means that you're going to be in the shack, praise God. That's got to be the attitude. Hallelujah! Give us the shack, Lord! Good stuff. And be pursuing stuff that we ought not to be pursuing. The heart of faith is this heart. Saints of God, this is the heart. Lord, we'd rather drink vinegar and eat bark with you than to drink, than to drink milk and to eat honey without you. That, that's, our, that's our heart. We thank you for the milk and honey, but you can take it very well. Thank you. Leave it. Take it away from us. This is our Isaac. We've got to offer it up because we want you. What we want is you. Milk and honey is meaningless without you. Preaching is utterly meaningless without God. Church is meaningless. I don't care how good it is. I don't care how flashy it is. I don't care how eloquent the person may be. I don't care what great programs you might have. I don't care what your building looks, looks like. It's all meaningless. It's empty. You can get an angel anointing maybe. You can drive out a couple of Hittites. But if God's not in it, you miss the point of the whole thing. The point of, of Christianity, the point of the walk of faith is Jesus Christ. Period. 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 No ifs, ands, or buts. And anything else that would ever compete with Jesus Christ for our attention, for our allegiance, is nothing more than a golden calf. We've got to say it out loud. I don't care how shiny the golden calf is. I don't care if there's even an angel on top of that golden calf. I don't care if the Hittites are afraid of the golden calf and they run away. It's still a golden calf. And what we want is Jesus Christ, not some stupid golden calf. Amen? That's what it's about. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. You need to know this, that... And the Israelites still had to... It wasn't like they're just going to sit on their butts now and, and wait for God to bring, them, bring the promised land to them. Now, they had to do a lot of stuff. They had to go. They had to do stuff. But see, it's one thing to do stuff in obedience to God. That's another thing to pursue it on your own as though your life depends on it. And the heart of faith has to say, Lord, show me your ways. I'll do whatever you want us to, me to do. But I've got to know that the whole point of the doing is you. The whole point of the doing is you. The beginning and the end. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. What is faith about? What are we about? It's Jesus Christ. Beginning, it's Jesus Christ. In the middle, it's Jesus Christ. At the end, it's Jesus Christ. And the heart has got to be this. Here's the the Isaac we have to offer up. And I want to lead us in a prayer on doing this. Um, And and it's simply this. It's the Moses prayer, which would say this. God, uh, Lord, if if you want to take the music ministry, we don't want to follow you because it's good music. Do I take the preaching? We'd rather have some stuttering, babbling, incoherent idiot uh, delivering a nonsensical message, but if your presence is there, we'll take that. Or some eloquent preacher who just sort of tickles our ears. Because, uh, Lord, what we want is you. Building, you know, God, you, you want to give us the orphan? Give us the orphan. You want to give us Kmart? Give us Kmart. We'll do what we need to do, Lord. You do that. But an orphan or a Kmart or anything is meaningless. You're not going to show up. We don't want to show up if you're not going to show up. The only reason for our showing up is, is that you're going to show up. Lord, so, 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 so show us your ways. Teach us your ways that we can walk with you. We can talk with you. We can have the Moses kind of relationship with you. Ask yourself this question. Um, and is this, why are you here? This is, this is rubber you're hitting the road here. Why are you a believer and why are you here? This is a good question to ask. Um, are you, a, are, are you a believer because, you know, God is your sugar daddy? And you get a lot of nice stuff. You just find that life's going... You now, people give up on God because they don't feel the joy for a little while. Which means to me that you had a golden calf called joy. Or people give up because Christianity didn't work for me. 
Well, it seems to me well, you didn't give up on Christianity, you gave up on a golden calf. Uh, why, are you, why are you a believer? Why are you a believer? And, and I, doing that, I want to be gracious because God will meet you where you're at. And, and so I want to, you know, recognize. But you got to know, no matter where you're at, you've got to know where you're supposed to be going. And so it's good to ask this question. Are you in love with Jesus Christ because He's Jesus Christ? Are you in love with Him for the same reason He's in love with you? And that's because He is Him and you are you? Or is it because of the frills and thrills and the promised land, milk and honey, and the Hittites and the, and the angel anointing? And why are you here at the church? What are we doing here? Are we really here? Do we gather each Sunday morning because yeah, this is an opportunity for us together to draw closer to Jesus Christ, to learn a little bit more about Jesus Christ? Or is it just that maybe it's not quite as boring as most churches are and you know, the music's kind of cool and, and you know, we, 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 kids have a lot of fun? Uh, why, are you, why are we here? Jesus said to a crowd one time, uh, you know, what did you come out to see? A reed shaking in the wind? Woo! You know, watch this. You, know, uh, you want me to do a trick for you? Is that why you're here? Watch whether I can you know, make a leper clean. Woo! You like that, don't you? And now Jesus did that for a while. He wanted to demonstrate the power of God. But he also wanted to cut to the chase and ask, what is your motive? And there was a time, in fact, when the whole crowd went away and Jesus didn't sweat much about that. He says to the disciples, well, I suppose you're going to leave now too. Now, what are we doing? Are we just, is it a carnival show? That's what Jesus is saying. You want a nice show. Now listen, praise God for a nice show. But the show is meaningless. It's not a show. You can't even call it a show if the purpose of the whole thing is to draw you closer to God. And this is the time for us to offer it all up in our hearts. doesn't mean God will take it. God gave Isaac back to Abraham. But our heart attitude has to be, Lord, you know what? If you want to take us out of this nice air-conditioned place and give us a shack, you want to turn this wonderful orchestra into a one-string rubber band guitar and sing off-key, you want to take the sermon and make it even worse than it is, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it takes, whatever, you know, whatever it takes, God, if it, if it would mean that your presence would be there, we would do it. We would do it. Let's stand. And to show... I'm feeling led in this direction. And uh, first of all, will the altar team come forward? And, and uh, if you have a need, if you, uh, we're going to sing a prayer here. We're going to sing a prayer. A cappella. Because the music isn't what it's about, right? And I don't even know all the lyrics to this one. But the lyrics, are, you know, that's okay, okay? And if you want to come forward, if you've, got, if you've got some milk and honey that you're too attached to, maybe you're addicted to, I'd encourage you to come forward. And our prayer team will be here and they'd love to pray with you to get free, that your focus may be purely on Jesus. But I like to end with a song. I, I, who knows how this is going to go, but do you care? Good. Um, and, and this song is a prayer, and it's the prayer that Moses prayed. It's show me your ways, that I may walk with you. Show me your ways that I may talk with you. The cry of my heart is to, what is it, love you more? To live in the, in the what? To live with a touch of your hand? Stronger each day, show me the way. Now, I want you to come up here and... Acapella. Acapella. Here. Can can, can one of these microphones on? Hallelujah. And you know what? As we sing this, can you see the face of Jesus Christ? And let's do it like like Moses did. Uh, And sing it to the Lord. Show me your ways. That's what it's all about. Take everything else. It's on the altar. But show me your ways. And I may walk with you. I may talk with you. And I may have your presence in my life. Because that's, that's air to me, Lord. That's air to me. That's the blood in my bloodstream. Without that, I am nothing. Without that, everything else is meaningless. Show me your ways. Show me your ways. Sing it to the Lord. That I may walk with you. 
Show me your way, show us, Lord, show us, Lord. Then I may talk with you. The cry of my heart is to love you more, to live with the touch of your hand stronger each day. Show me your way. See the face of the Lord. Sing it to the Lord as your prayer. Show me your way. Lord, that's why we're here this morning. That's why we're here. That I may walk with you. Show me your way. Show us, Lord God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That I may talk with you. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Do it, Lord. The cry of my heart is to love 